Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. We said goodbye to Jan Hendricks today, our longest serving playground assistant. We gathered in the school hall after lunch so I could say a few words and present her with the obligatory bouquet of flowers. For 37 years, I said, Jan has looked after the children of Small Tree Primary School as they have played in our playgrounds. For all the happy memories you have given the children, Jan, we thank you. Jan chose not to say anything, which has to be a first. And I chose not to mention the 15 formal complaints I've received in the last month alone, from parents and children accusing Jan of, to name but a few things, general negligence, dereliction of duty and an ever-increasing hatred of children. After I had escorted her off the premises, I joined my SLT for our meeting. The usual agenda, same old conversations. We are still on track for the biggest in-year deficit since anyone can remember. Our recent staff survey showed that 96% of teachers feel overworked. And, following the exit of Jan, we now don't have enough playground assistants to be legally compliant. Well, first off, I say, every school is facing an in-year deficit. But until such a time when teachers can be replaced by an online app, there isn't much anyone can do about it. And as for reducing teachers' workload, I point out that we already have a no-marking policy, a no-planning policy and a no-formal assessment policy. So apart from allowing every teacher to work from home and implementing a no-more-teaching policy, I don't see what more can be done. Sean, my deputy, chips in with What About Parents Evenings? and I fear we're about to hear another one of Sean's brilliant ideas, one that she's undoubtedly picked up on Twitter. I braced myself, trying to remember what my leadership coach told me about not shutting down people's ideas, even when I know they're going to be crap. Sean suggests that we could reform parent evenings by integrating our existing parent interaction protocols with our new parent messaging service. When I ask Sean to say this in plain English, she looks at me like I've asked her how to explain how trousers work. Text messaging, she says. A stream of coffee snorts out of my nose, and, clearly unimpressed with my feedback, Sean says that it was just an idea... And, remembering what my leadership coach said about not stifling creativity, I say that it's certainly a novel idea, Sean, but that teachers do have to remember that it won't kill them to occasionally breathe the same air as the parents. Gavin, the school business manager, asks what I intend to do about lunchtime now that Jan has gone. I tell him that the children and I have arranged a celebratory dance by the Adventure Playground tomorrow to mark the occasion. Nobody laughs. Gavin says he meant about recruitment. I say, yes, Gavin, I knew what you meant, and then I tell him to put an advert out, but to not, under any circumstance, put it on the school website. I do not want Mrs Jenkins getting wind of it. Every day she collars me in the playground to ask if there are any jobs going, and she always manages to stroke my arm or get hold of my hand when she does so. Physical contact makes me uncomfortable at the best of times, but when Mrs Jenkins tries to press the flesh, it's all I can do not to vomit all over my lanyard. I ask if there are any other matters to discuss, or am I free to return to the 3,000 emails that have dumped their way into my inbox since this meeting started? Only Sean has some any other business. What am I going to do about this coronavirus? Just as I was about to say that I'm planning on not getting it, Mrs Wrangle knocks on the door to say that one of the reception teachers has been bitten by Frankie Wallace again, this time whilst they were acting out the enormous crocodile. Mrs Wrangle says the teacher wants to know what I'm going to do about it. I close my eyes and mutter something about not asking Frankie to be a sodding crocodile might be a start. And by the time I've opened my eyes again, my senior leaders have all left my office, evidently leaving it to me to call up Frankie's mum to request an early collection. 
Later on, as I'm driving home, I hear Boris Johnson on the radio saying that schools definitely will not close due to coronavirus. I turn off the radio. This is not a good sign. There's a message for me to ring Steve Templeton when I arrive at work this morning. I call his school and get through to a frosty school receptionist claiming that Mr Templeton is busy in a meeting but what is my call regarding? I tell her I'm another head teacher and that I'm actually returning his call. Miraculously, she thinks his meeting may have just ended and she puts me through. Steve greets me in his typically over-familiar way considering we've only actually met once. I sat next to him at a heads conference three years ago and even then I don't recall talking to him except to tell him that his chair leg was on my coat. Steve wants to tell me that he's heard a rumour schools are going to be closed by the end of the week and might stay closed for the rest of the year. He's hoping the one thing coronavirus can kill is SATs. I bloody well hope not. For the first time in my career, I'm actually on track to have some positive results. And if SATs gets cancelled, well, that'll push my exit plan back another five years. Steve starts asking if I've got a copy of my school's emergency planning and closure procedure. I mutter something about not knowing what he's talking about, but Steve just laughs and says talking to me always cheers him up. At that point, I pretend there's a knock at my door and I say I have to go. The rest of my day is spent trying to convince everyone that the school is not closing. Even at lunchtime, I end up arguing with a group of Year 3 pupils about how they would find not coming to school extremely boring. One of them tries to tell me that as potential super-spreaders, all children should be quarantined and that by keeping them in school I'm going against the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. I tell them that, as head teacher, my authority supersedes the UN Convention and that if they don't stop being silly, I'll report all of their TikTok accounts. They scream in mock outrage and run off. As I get in the car to go home, Jemima rings. Can I stop off at Waitrose and pick up some linguine? She's found a recipe for braised artichokes and scallops that she wants me to try out for dinner. When I arrive at Waitrose, the shelves are depleted. All that's left is a ripped bag of their Essentials range macaroni. I text Jemima with the bad news and she responds with 17 toilet roll emojis. Having no idea what to do with this information, I pop the macaroni in the basket and make my way to the checkout, wondering how exactly one goes about braising an artichoke. to the sounds of Jemima calling me from the ensuite. Didn't you get any toilet roll last night, she asks. I keep my eyes closed and say that she didn't ask me to get any toilet roll. She tells me to check my phone, using a tone that suggests I've already lost whatever argument I've managed to get myself into despite not having got out of bed, which must be some new kind of record. I look through my messages, and to be fair, those toilet emojis do now seem to make more sense. I consider asking her why she didn't just message me using words, but, deciding better of it, I slope off to the downstairs toilet to fetch her a loo roll. I get into work to find that my office furniture has been rearranged. There are now benches running all along the walls and several bins dotted about the floor. I find Shan, who informs me that my office is now the Covid collection point. I look at her blankly. My office, it transpires, is where any persons infected with the virus will be asked to wait until they are picked up. I say that I would have thought the first aid room would be a good place for sick people to wait, but Shan just laughs and says that the guidance is very clear. 
What bloody guidance, I ask her. And she sticks her phone in my face and says the government's guidance for schools that was emailed yesterday at seven o'clock in the evening and haven't I received it? I tell Sean I don't know if I received it because at seven o'clock last night I was in Waitrose on my hands and knees putting discarded bits of macaroni back into a bag. Well, Sean says, all schools should seek to find a room that can be the designated Covid collection point. The room should be well ventilated, easily accessible and not be considered essential for the running of a school. I try to point out that some people might consider the headteacher's office to be a room that is ever so slightly essential. But Sean just laughs and tells me to stop being dramatic. And anyway, she read somewhere that children don't really get coronavirus, so this is just a precaution. By 9.30, my office is filled with children. And, judging by the clientele, I would say this is only partly linked to the pandemic. The main cause, I would say, is that the teachers have read this morning's memo about our new COVID collection point, which also informs staff that any child who coughs, sniffs or sneezes must be sent immediately to the head's office for collection. I have now got to try and get on with my work whilst telling children not to A. Talk, B. Cough or C. Talk whilst coughing. At ten o'clock the giggling starts, so I decide to do a tour of the school. I step gingerly past the infected, but just as I get to my office door, Mrs Jenkins arrives, presumably to pick up her daughter Kizzy, who has for the last 30 minutes been sat in my office not coughing. Mrs Jenkins embraces me, and then, keeping my head close to her bosom, asks, what are we going to do to protect the children? Well, Mrs Jenkins, I say, trying to escape from the folds of her cleavage, I think the first thing you can do is take Kizzy home. At the mention of her daughter, she releases me and turns to Kizzy, whom I notice has miraculously developed a cough now that her mother has turned up. Mrs Jenkins wants to know if I will be closing the school. I reassure her that I don't think it will come to that, but that she must stay away for at least 14 days. Akram pipes up and says that he thought it was only seven days, sir. I laugh and say what a helpful young boy Akram is, but no, I am pretty certain that the guidance is for Mrs Jenkins to stay away for two weeks. Mrs Jenkins clasps my hand and says we must all play our part and if there is anything she can do then I have her mobile number. Kizzy, who may have been the only one in the room feeling more awkward than me at that moment, picks up her bag and pushes her mum out the room. After they've gone, Akram says to me, that woman is proper mad, in it, sir? I tell Akram not to be so rude but that, yes, she does seem to be a trifle unstable. The rest of my day is spent telling the multitude of parents who come into my office to collect their coughing children that I am quite sure the school will not be closing. I even write to the parents, saying that I know all of this is rather alarming, but that as the government scientific adviser had said that morning, schools are not unsafe places, and that I do not expect the school to be closing any time soon. At seven o'clock, just as I'd managed to find the one shop in a ten-mile radius that still had any toilet roll, I heard on the radio that Boris had just announced that schools were, in fact, to close on Friday. I rang Jemima to check that we still had a vast quantity of wine in the house. Steve Templeton is on the phone the second I arrive at work this morning. He's keen to tell me how he contacted staff individually last night to find out about their thoughts and anxieties about school closing. He says it really helped bond the team. He asked me what I had done. I didn't tell him I drank too much wine and ate an entire Arctic roll straight from the freezer. Instead, I mumbled something about using today to touch base with staff face to face. Enjoy that while it lasts, says Steve, and he laughs before asking me how my IT infrastructure is going to cope during Covid. Like so many of my conversations with Steve, I generally have no idea what he's talking about. 
Luckily, Sean comes into my office, so I tell him there's a crying teacher at my door and I really have to go. Sean says that she isn't crying and she resents the implication, and then adds that the letter I wrote to parents yesterday about the school not closing really wasn't helpful. No, Sean, I say. The Prime Minister repeatedly saying that schools weren't going to close and then deciding at 7 o'clock last night that they were, that wasn't helpful. Sean says we can argue about semantics all we like, but that now I need to write to the parents again to tell them that the school is in fact closing. I say surely Boris Johnson has taken care of that particular job for me, but she is insistent, especially, she says, as some schools are not closing. I must have started pulling my confused face, the one that Jemima says makes me look like an oxygen-starved pufferfish with a squint, as Sean rolls her eyes and says, don't you ever go on Twitter? I remind her that since she set up my account, I have garnered precisely five followers. Her, a retired head I've never met from Stevenage, and three of our parents who actively despise me. She shows me her Twitter feed and finds a tweet from some headteacher called Ryan Bottom, who has tweeted that his school will never close, hashtag community love. According to Sean, this tweet has got picked up by the press, who are praising him in his school for not turning its back on the community. It's not turning your back on your school community, I say, by following a government directive to help prevent the spread of a pandemic. Sean looks at me as if I've just suggested we should round up all of our families and have them all shot. She says that she finds Ryan Bottom an inspiration. I say that Ryan Bottom sounds like an arse. Sean leaves my office, but not before she warns me that my letter to parents better be good. I sit back down and reluctantly start typing a letter. A voice behind me says, I thought arse was a swear word, sir. I stop typing and turn round only to see Akram sitting patiently in one of the chairs still laid out in my office. I thought you went home yesterday, Akram, I say. He smiles and shakes his head. Not me, sir. My mum's a key worker, in it. Oh, I say. A key worker, right. There is a short pause before Akram speaks again. Are you all right, sir? You look like a fish out of water. Last night I had a grilling from Jemima about why schools closing didn't mean I was now on holiday. She asked me who qualified as a key worker. I said that as far as I could tell from reading the guidance, it was NHS staff, people who work for the emergency services, social workers and anyone else who would rather be at work than at home with their kids. So you're not closing at all then, she said. Well, we are closing to all children, I said, just not the children who will still be attending school. But by this time she turned off her bedside light and was doing that heavy breathing thing she does when she wants me to know that she's trying very hard to get to sleep but can't because I've annoyed her. In the morning she was already up and about before my alarm went off. This is usually her way of saying that I need to wait a bit longer before I apologise. Although, apart from not agreeing to skive off work, I'm not entirely sure what it is I've done wrong. When I get to the kitchen she greets me with a coffee and a kiss. I'm immediately suspicious. I've booked us a table at the Red Lion this evening, she says. I thought we could look at some colour schemes for the bathroom. I give her my best non-committal nod. And we can also talk about any underlying health conditions you might have. I tell Jemima that I haven't got any underlying health conditions, and unless the guidance talks about acute inhalation of paint fumes, I am unlikely to develop any. She smiles sweetly and says that she's going for a shower, and I know better than to carry on this conversation, so I decide to look on the bright side. At least I'll get to enjoy a pint at the end of the day. When I get into work, Gavin wants to know if I've surveyed the staff for any underlying health conditions. I say that Sean should have sent out an electronic survey yesterday, but that, as far as I can recall, nobody I know has any. 
well, apart from Pat in year four, whom I know is a diabetic because I once had to force feed her pick and mix when she had a hypo at the Halloween disco. Gavin asks if the survey went out to the support staff, to which I say, of course. He shakes his head and says, but you know many of them can't access their emails. I correct him and say that it's more a matter of them choosing not to access their emails, Gavin. He walks away, muttering something about arranging for paper copies, but that this will play havoc with the photocopying budget. I step into my office, only to be greeted by Mr Stevens from Year 6. He tells me that as the school's union rep, he wanted to let me know that the staff are behind me 110%. I resist the urge to remind him that it's his lazy attitude to percentages that helped knock off several marks in last year's SATS papers, and instead say thank you, and that that really means a lot. He then turns to leave and says goodbye and good luck. Confused, I asked him where he thinks he's going, considering the school day is just about to start. He laughs and says, Oh, didn't I tell you, I'm shielding. You're shielding, I say. Shielding who? It turns out that the mother of one of his flatmates is morbidly obese, and that she often comes round on a Sunday to cook a roast, so everyone in the flat is having to self-isolate. Speechless, I watch him pick up his coat and say, Don't forget to send me a copy of the risk assessment, and walk off. Sean then comes in, clutching a load of paperwork. Um, Sean, I say, Mr Stevens has just told me, oh, about Rodney's mum, she says. I know, very sad, isn't it? Sad, I say, my voice starting to rise. I don't care if it's sad. Who's going to teach year six? Sean tells me that I might want to try being a head teacher who is more in tune with everyone's individual circumstances during this difficult time. Knowing where she probably got that little nugget of leadership gold from, I ask her if her mate from Twitter, Ryan Bottom, would allow one of his teachers to stay at home just so they can have a chicken dinner cooked for them by Aunt Fatty. Sean glares at me, her tongue pressed into her lower left cheek. Well, actually, now you come to mention it, she says, Ryan tweeted this morning to say that he's given all his staff and children a well-being day off today and that he's teaching all the key worker and vulnerable children by himself. Well, I say, I'd love to do that, only we've got an entire school full of children in today because hashtag those are the bloody rules. Sean smiles and I sense that I'm about to be pushed off my high horse. Well, actually, she says, thanks to your letter to parents yesterday, only eight children have turned up today, so if you want to, you can teach them all. Struggling to think of anything clever to say, I turn my attention to the paperwork under Sean's arm. What's that, I ask? Sean tells me that she's compiled a list of our predicted pupil numbers based on our parent key workers and is going to cross-reference them with any staff who may be unable to attend work in order to develop clear class lists to help minimise person-to-person contact and would I like to help. Luckily, before I could come up with any excuse as to why I couldn't help, Gavin comes in and announces that we have a problem. Every single first aider has an underlying health condition and will be unable to come into work. I point out that it's a bit ironic that our first aiders are the least healthy members of staff in the entire school, but Gavin just rolls his eyes and says that it is a legal requirement to have a first aider on site. I reassure Gavin that we can probably find someone in school qualified enough who can administer a wet paper towel for eight children. He walks away mumbling something about trying to find an online first aid course that somebody can take, but that this is going to play havoc with the staff training budget. The rest of the day passes by quite smoothly. Sean arranges the staff rotor, Gavin sorts out the first aider problem, and I manage to avoid all phone calls from Steve Templeton. Later, as I pull into the drive, I can't help but look forward to having a pint down at the Red Lion. I turn the engine off and quickly check my phone. I take a quick look at my Twitter feed, and I see that Sean has liked a tweet by Ryan Bottom. It's a picture of him at home, opening a case of beer and holding a pint glass that says best head teacher ever on it. The tweet reads, What a lovely present to get at the end of a week from all my staff. Hashtag community love.
At that moment, Jemima bursts out of our front door, clutching an array of Dulux colour wheels and what looks like a portable blood pressure monitor. She knocks on the car window. The Prime Minister's shutting down the pubs, she says. Come on, we've got until closing time to get your blood pressure up. With any luck, you'll be painting the bathroom by Monday. I look back at my phone, at Ryan Bottom's happy grinning face, and then I step out of the car and catch up with my loving wife, hell-bent on giving me an underlying health condition. You have been listening to Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. All characters and events are entirely fictitious and are not based on any real people or events. Any similarities are entirely coincidental and should be taken up with Her Majesty's Government. Brained Comedy, visit our website, brainedcomedy.com, and subscribe to our podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, and all good podcatchers. <laughs>